This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much going on in a rainy New York City. Ainsley Earhart will be joining us shortly. Andy McCarthy at the bottom of the hour. It looks like President Trump's got himself more legal issues. Same old Stormy Daniels thing. Like they never, they never get enough of that case. It's been going on for about six years, uh, maybe longer. And it's just uh, to- total political targeting. I don't think that that's the situation in Georgia. It's not the situation in Mar-a-Lago. But this is... I don't know what he can do about it, though. The president of the United States is going to be in New York City today, screwing up traffic and talking about an infrastructure project at the West Rail Yard, West Side Rail Yards. Okay, it was passed a year ago. Why are you announcing something that's not going to start till next year today? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A new poll shows Americans don't think inflation or illegal immigration are the country's biggest problems. They say it's a failure in leadership. According to the latest Gallup poll, 21% of Americans believe poor leadership is the most important problem plaguing the nation. Wow. Gallup study shows government and poor leadership is the number one problem plaguing the country. From the president to Congress, from 15 rounds to pick a speaker, to classify documents in a garage, it's all outpacing inflation and immigration. Americans deserve and expect better. How do you rank the challenges? Number two. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country. The different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation Absolutely. that we all must follow. Right. And it's not. I agreed yesterday and I agree today. That is Commissioner Pat Ryder talking about the problems with policing. Trey Nichols' death results in more firings and accusations as his funeral is set for tomorrow. EMTs and late arriving officers get the axe yesterday. What's the takeaway from law enforcement uh, race? We will discuss. Number one. Well, you always got a handful that, that are grateful and they know where they came from. But most of them, they don't care. They're entitled. Their self-entitlement is beyond belief. They believe that the hotel is theirs and they're going to do what, well, what they want. It's unbelievable. Uh, that's Felipe Rodriguez. Uh, he is working the Watson Hotel and he can't believe how ing- ungrateful these illegal immigrants are. Ingrates, all of them. Illegals storm our border get uh, bus to our major cities like New York, and now they're protesting the conditions. A dumb deed punished. All of this unsustainable. When will the American people say they've had enough? 
And I posed that question to Ainsley Earhart because she does not like to talk to me off the air. So I said the only way to talk to her is to continue to book her in every outlet. Well, you're very difficult to talk to when you're not on the air. You're a completely different person. So what am I? What, how would you describe <laughs> the big difference? You so, are exactly the same. I love talking sadly. to you, Brian. Thank um, you for having me on. But you, that was your interview. That was yeah, for, so, Felipe Rodriguez. That's right. So Felipe Rodriguez works at the Rowe Hotel, and he is, I think he called himself a mid-runner. And that means uh, he goes from the third floor all the way up to the 28th floor and runs errands for whoever is staying at the right. hotel. It might be extra towels, a toothbrush, whatever. So he says he's going door to door, uh, and he said the majority of them are not grateful. Most of them are complaining about the situation. Uh, he said a few of them are grateful, but he's finding people um, hooking up in the stairwell lobby. He said, or the stairwell. He said that uh, the rooms are covered in trash and junk and We've seen the empty pictures. beer bottles. He Terrible. sent he sent us those pictures, and he said um, he said they're complaining about not having better uh, you know, better uh, place to stay. Meanwhile, they have the shelter that's being built for them in Brooklyn. And I thought Jesse Waters yesterday. I was listening to his show, and he had a really good soundbite. Let me see if I can find that on my phone. But. Um, he basically said they're coming from really bad conditions. They should be grateful for anything that they have. He said they're willing to travel 3,000 miles, but they can't go the extra mile over to Brooklyn where we have a shelter for them. But the guy we interviewed that works at the hotel said the hotel is making so much money. They make more money on these migrants than they make on tourists because the tourists, you don't always fill the rooms. He said every single room was filled with migrants. The city, our tax dollars, were paying for them to have these hotel rooms, paying for their food. He said many of them were cooking in their rooms. They were worried that someone was going to start a fire. Um, he said that um, uh, he said that uh, everyone's complaining that works for his union, that works within the hotel. I said, are you worried about getting fired? Are you worried about coming on Fox and talking about this? He said, I don't care. I've got to stand up for the people who are actually cleaning up after them. I mean, you know, people, uh, how much do you pay? You live in the city for how many years now? Gosh, how much money do you pay for the yes. smallest apartment? Yes, yes. So they're Thousands. getting a free hotel room or a free bed and free. Uh, is it uh, $500 a night to yeah. stay in some of these hotels? So listen to this. This Venezuela, the audio is not great, but this Venezuelan migrant describes it's so bad in Brooklyn. Cut five. We don't want to go to there because there is very bad uh, situation about everything. It's up to four bedrooms for like 500 people. You know, uh, it's not just that. We need to cross the street for use the bathrooms, for take a shower and come back to the bags. Um, this bags is close to everybody. That's, that's so bad. Wow. Uh, don't come. You know, please don't come. I found Jesse Waters' soundbite. This is what he said. They should be thankful they're not getting deported. We had a president who deported migrants and built hotels, and now we have a president who imports migrants and pays for their hotels. Sure, Brooklyn's not Martha's Vineyard, but it beats wherever they came from. They left shanty towns where they claimed they feared for their lives, crawled through jungles, marched through deserts to get here, and now they're drawing the line in Brooklyn? They're from Venezuela, and they don't want to go to Brooklyn. We're giving them free food, free rent, beds in the Brooklyn waterfront. Front. The definition of a migrant is to move from one place to another, but now they're done moving. They traveled 3,000 miles to come here, and now they don't want to go one more mile. The migrants want to stay at this luxury hotel and pay for it by defunding the police. They got many bathrooms. Number one, that's not true. Number two, there there's sinks, bathrooms. There is ping pong. There is a menu. There Big are screen flat TVs. screens. You have overlooking the Brooklyn waterfront, a beautiful 50-degree day yesterday. Look, and it's not supposed to be their home permanently. Right. This is just for a few weeks to get them on their 
their feet so that or they the, can go get a job. But Ainsley, I don't think they can get a job because they, no one they, can hire an illegal. Right, because they don't have work visas. I don't know why they're still here. They got to fly them back. Well, then that's the administration's. That, that, that this is where they have uh, let these people down because. First of all, you open the border, you let them in, you give them a free place to stay, and now they can't contribute to society. They can't work because they don't have work visas. They should have said immediately, if you're going to be able to come in, we're going to give you a work visa so that you can work and contribute to the taxes. So we know this Tyree Nichols, this horrendous situation, January 7th, came to fruition 7 o'clock Eastern time on Friday. We saw the video. It's horrendous. I also thought, you know, um, it would be great to find out what led to to the whole pulling over of Tyree Nichols. One thing, he's got a pristine record. His hobbies are skateboarding and photography. Mm-hmm. Seemed just like a great person who got beat to death, literally beat to death, which brings up all police reform. What should we do? I thought Pat Ryder made a good point, which I didn't know. Uh, and he says this could increase policing. Who's Pat Ryder? Police commissioner of one of the biggest counties in the country, Nassau County. Cut 10. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country the different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation that we all must follow, and it's not. The standard should be a national standard about how you de-escalate, when you're allowed to use um, deadly physical force, when you're allowed to use your taser. Yeah, so how do you feel about that? Um, You know, the the whole situation is just awful. It's it's sad when you see his pictures, when you know what happened, when you watch the video of him being kicked and punched, when he's already down on the ground, and um, when you hear the interviews of his parents. You know, we're we're parents. I can't imagine what what they told his parents. Uh, Your your son was uh, driving erratically and was drunk, uh, DUI. So uh, he's in jail. So she thought, oh my god, what's going on? So you didn't hear anything. Let's call from the hospital. Said you can't see him, right? And says, where are you? Your son's, your son's not well. He needs you. It's like, you're kidding. I'm allowed to go? So they even lied to him after they beat he him to death. said he was locked up when he, really he was in the hospital? Yeah. So, so Pat Ryan, what about that? You, you're from South Carolina. Different training from Nassau County. Different training from New York City. Do you feel as though we could give money to the smaller units in this country to maybe get the training they need from professionals? Absolutely. But here's the thing. I mean, Brian, we, we cover these stories. We have been for years. Similar stories. And nothing, it seems like in some of these smaller areas, nothing's being done. How did this even happen? I know. After everything our country's been through. And they're supposed to be an elite unit. I know. So Byron and- Donalds disagrees with, with me and uh, to a degree you about universal training. Cut 11. The members of Congress, what we have to understand is that you can't nationalize every issue. What happened in Memphis in Memphis was heinous. It was awful. But the reality is the local police department is the one that's got to solve these problems. They have to look at their training standards. They have to look at their hiring practices. Every law enforcement agency has to do that. Specific to Washington, there are some, there's a handful of remedies we can probably do. We could probably help a lot of these police departments with Thank equipment you. and training. But you can't solve those problems for them from California. Well, that's true, but nobody wants to be a cop now. That's the other problem. No, no, and nobody wants their child to be a cop. Uh, You talk to any of the police officers around Fox News, and they say, I don't want my kids to go into into this profession. Um, I mean, I don't know if you can nationalize it. It would be good, yes, if every department, based on the size of people, yeah, some standards and some equipment, but it's it's just like— um, the abortion issue that went back to the states, education issues that goes back to the states. It's hard 
when you get into the red tape and the bureaucracy and you have Washington telling individual police departments and sheriffs who have been elected how to run their departments. Here's what drives me crazy about Washington, and there's a lot. Here's Dick Durbin calling for police reform. For Cory Booker and Tim Scott to get back together, cut eight. I think of the police reform package that Senator Booker was working on with Senator Scott. Uh, it had many elements in it that are important, uh, banning chokeholds, dealing with uh, no warrant uh, searches, uh, dealing with accreditation of police departments. It's necessary that we do all these things, but not sufficient. A Republican Senator Tim Scott, who you mentioned, blamed Democrats for squandering an opportunity to pass those reforms you talked about. Both parties did agree on those in 2021, like banning chokeholds and increased mental health resources. Why not pass what was already agreed upon? Isn't something better than nothing? It's the right starting point. And uh, Senator Booker, chairman of the Crime Subcommittee, uh, has been working on this for years. Uh, I think he and Senator Scott should sit down again quickly uh, to see if we can revive that effort. Really? Here's Tim Scott when he heard that cut nine. Senator Durbin asked Senator Booker and I to come back to the table and start talking about policing in America. I never left the table, Mr. President, but it was Senator Durbin who filibustered my Justice Act. I take the issue of policing in America seriously. I want our body to see it not as an issue of Republicans versus Democrats, but as good people standing in the gap. Gotcha. Uh, So see see how crazy it is? You filibuster and say, why didn't they continue? They don't tell you the whole story. I love that that Durbin is complaining about Tim Scott, and then Tim Scott tells you the real story. There was the filibuster. And he says he hasn't ever left the table, and he really hasn't. And in Clyburn's defense, who's a Democrat from the same state of South Carolina, he was the one that said this is ridiculous that Democrats are saying defund and reimagine. We don't need to do that. But, you know, after 9-11, there was an event. And she was on TV um, on another network. And they said, why would God allow this to happen to, to the Twin Towers? And, and she said, you know, you wanted prayer out of school. You want the Ten Commandments off the wall. You wanted God out of our lives. God is a gentleman. And when you ask him to get out, then he will get out. He, he will always be there. Uh, waiting to accept your invitation, but you wanted us to, mm-hmm. you wanted God to get out of your life and he did. And now you're complaining to God. It's the same. It's a similar thing in the fact that we want to defund, we want to reimagine. And then when something like this happens, when you don't have the best people as police officers, there are a few, you know, bad apples in every lower department, probably you lower your standards. You exactly. You don't pay them as much. You defund. Then this is what happens. Exactly. We, we predicted this. Any sane American predicted this years ago when they started calling for defunding. There are 3,000 short in New York City. There are 400 short in Baltimore. You can go through city by city about that. Angel's going to stick around for a few more minutes. She's going to be outnumbered. And if you want to know what she's going to be wearing, check out Fox Nation now because you can watch, see what she's going to be right. wearing now. That's right. A sneak preview. Back in I home. did get dressed. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's 400 years that we've dealt with this oh and our country still has not taken responsibility or accountability for the history of the systemic racism that's in this country what should we do more well i mean for for one thing uh critical race theory i think is essential to be teaching critical race theory can mean it's I mean, it's just one of these catch-all terms. If you mean we should honestly teach our past, of course. If you mean more what the uh, 1619 book says, which is that it's just the essence of America and that we are irredeemable, that's just wrong. And that's just a little of the sparring back and forth. When Bill Maher is going to bat with Hollywood, and he's a uh, a avowed liberal, Ainsley Earhart, I just think it's important talking with Brian Cranston. Are they clueless to the fact that they are detached from the most of the country? Well, what? Tell me, because you followed Bill Maher a lot. What? What? How did he transition into this? The country changed. Yeah, because, but he's because, starting to recognize that absolutely. And, and call out Hollywood for some of their Because they're their saying crazy, crazy things now about the transitioning and teaching kids, six-year-olds, you can pick your gender. And he's not, he's not leaving the Democratic Party and saying, are you people crazy to fund the police? Right. And then you have these guys in Hollywood, yeah, police bad, you know, the homeless have a bad shake and America's unfair. And he's pretty, pretty much saying, guys— You've gone too crazy even for me. That's why I find him so heartening to listen to. The hard part, too, um, I teach my daughter to love everybody. We haven't gotten to the point where we talk about skin color. But one of her friends at school, she knows she's a girl. She was born a girl. She knows she's a girl. I've never brought up the issue with her. You can be a different gender if you want um, because she wants to be a girl. Um, But... When it comes to the race issue, critical race theory, she came home from school or one of the moms was over at my house while the kids were playing. And she said that another mom in our class whose daughter has darker skin came home and said, I never knew I had darker skin, but my teacher told me I did and wanted me to pick a crayon color that matched my skin. And she said, we weren't ready to have this conversation. I want my daughter to see herself as equal and everyone's equal and we're all God's children. And even though our skin colors are all different... It's not something that we talk about or bring up because then you're making it an issue. Of course. Frederick Douglass said that statement, kids don't see color. He was born a slave, playing with white kids. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know where his mom was licensed out to another plantation. And he didn't see a difference Mm -hmm. until he gets older and said, wow, you know, my life could be so much better. How did I get born in these circumstances? Now you're telling everybody we're equal. Instead of telling everyone we're equal, it's like, listen— you are privileged because you're white. Meanwhile, we know more lower class white people, uh, working class or lower mm-hmm. class white people than um, uh, than black people. 
So I just find this all self-destructive. Well, and it's adults that are doing this. It's the adults yeah. that are, are allowing these kids to recognize something they never would have seen before. Um, children are so innocent, and it's so beautiful to watch a child grow up. And then when they have to realize the the way that society is is pushing or what society's pushing on them, it's really sad. Right. I don't mean to get you down. What's going to be an outnumbered? Do you have any idea? You know, I haven't gotten my topics yet. I'm leaving your – I went from – the morning show to this show that I'm going to my office to study. All right, but can you, can you reject a topic? Do you have that much power? I do not. You do not. No. Not, but you will not. I'm a nobody. You will not be a man. You will be a woman. I'm a woman. Proud but, to be a woman. And an outnumbered, it'll be a guy. It'll be Todd. There'll be a Todd in the middle. Thanks, Ainsley. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Donald will ultimately be held accountable for this Stormy Daniel payment. This investigation that was to be brought by Alvin Bragg's office, previously Cy Vance Jr., is the most detrimental to him, his freedom, his livelihood, his business, etc., because it's the easiest to prove. The checks are the checks. We know a lot. There's recordings. The first three-month payment was made by Donald Trump, and I gave those to the House Oversight Committee who posted him, and so on. And so he's not in the same position where he can deny or lie the way that he will in some of the other matters. Yeah, really? Uh, Because they could have brought this case up a long time ago, but it couldn't move anywhere. They like to look through his taxes and get him, but it couldn't go anywhere. Uh, With us right now to break it down, Andy McCarthy, contributing editor at National Review, Fox News contributor, and, you know, he's a former prosecutor himself. So, uh, Andy, your take on Michael Cohen's assessment of how much trouble Donald Trump is in? Well, he's in less trouble because one of the main witnesses in the case is Michael Cohen, um, who has immense credibility problems. But I think, you know, Cohen, uh, you know, allegedly has a law degree. um, But the case with respect to Trump has always been very problematic, uh, especially at the state level, in ways that uh, Cohen doesn't convey. So, you know, for example, uh, he says they can prove that Trump paid the money. Well, Trump hasn't denied paying the money. He's like publicly said he uh, paid the money. Uh, It's not generally illegal to have non-disclosure agreements. You may think that they're, you know, covering up icky things, but they're a pretty common thing in civil litigation where people settle and everybody agrees that they're not going to talk about the underlying matter. So that happens uh, quite a bit. The real issue, the interesting issue, uh, when the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutors had the case, Brian, was whether it was a violation of the campaign finance laws. Those are federal laws. Uh, They can't be the basis for a state prosecution. Um, So, you know, the state, they decided on the federal level that you couldn't get Trump on that because there's different rules that apply to the person who is the candidate who can spend an unlimited amount of his own money versus somebody who is a supporter of the candidate like Cohen, who if he gets caught spending money that exceeds the uh, the donation limit, uh, that's actionable. So him and Cohen and, and Trump were never in the same position. I actually don't think if they had had, if the Southern District had had to try that case against Cohen, I don't think they would have won on the uh on the campaign finance count, even though they persuaded him uh, to plead guilty to it. 
but it's irrelevant on the state charge because the, the federal campaign finance issue is not a state crime. So what they have to come up with is some fraud theory um, that, you know, the way the Trump organization booked the payment somehow violated New York law. And I think it's such a difficult case. That's the reason the federal prosecutors and even the prosecutors in the state district attorney's office have dropped this case a couple of times. What kept them interested in the Trump investigation at the DA's office was not Stormy Daniels. It was they thought when they got Trump's financial records, which Cy Vance went to the, the former Manhattan DA, went to the Supreme Court twice to try to get those records and finally got them. They thought when they finally got them, that was going to be the mother load of fraud. When they saw them, they're obviously disappointed in what they found. They dropped the criminal investigation. It became the grist for a civil complaint that was filed by the attorney general of New York, Chris yeah. James. But the, the prosecutors didn't think they could do anything with it criminally. So what changed? I, here's what I think is going on, uh, Brian. First of all, Bragg is a very ambitious, progressive Democrat, right? Um, and I think he didn't, maybe he, I don't know what he was thinking, but he allowed himself to be upstaged by Tish James when she filed the case and he didn't. You know, progressives want Trump to be indicted. So they're angry that he shut down a case that, uh, you know, they have lawyers in the, especially veteran prosecutors in the DA's office. Uh, who thought that there was a case and Bragg decided there wasn't a case. So the left is mad at him about that. And then I think the immediate cause is one of the senior lawyers on the case who happens to have been uh, my criminal division chief back in the 1990s when we were both uh, at the Southern District, Mark Pomerantz. Uh, he's one of the lawyers they brought in to uh, do this case that Cy Vance brought in. And he was very angry when Bragg shut it down. So lo and behold, next Tuesday, Mark has a book coming out called The People Versus Donald Trump. And I think what Bragg figures is that book is going to lay out, uh, you know, the case that uh, Bragg should have indicted but didn't indict. Uh, and Bragg is trying to uh, scramble a little bit because he knows the left is going to be even madder at him next week once Pomerantz's book comes out. So he's trying to show that he's doing the right, right. thing. And so Pomerantz has a book coming case. out. Who is this guy and Tuesday. what's in it? What's in it? Mark Pomerantz is an excellent um, criminal lawyer. He was a longtime prosecutor and a longtime defense lawyer. Here's an interesting tidbit, Brian. Mark Pomerantz's uh, uh, partner, when they used to uh, be very prominent defense lawyers in New York, is a guy named Ron Fischetti, who just happens to be Donald Trump's lawyer in this case. So it's a it's a very interesting uh, dynamic, but uh, Fischetti. Uh, Pomerantz is a very fine lawyer, but I think he's another one of these guys who, you know, got caught up in the uh, in the Trump mania that seems to uh, obsess people. Uh, and he was very angry. He got recruited by Cy Vance to come in because I think Vance thought he needed somebody very solid uh, to come in and try to build this case. So Vance recruited him. You know, Mark is at a point in his life where I don't think he, you know, he's He's an older guy now and in semi-retirement, I think, and, and you know didn't need this, but like rolled up his sleeves, did the case, thought there was a case there. And then Vance left the office, Bragg shut it down, uh, and Pomerantz is very unhappy. 
so, you know, he wrote a book, I think, to explain the case he thought they should have brought, which is the book that comes out Tuesday called The People Against Donald Trump. Which now, the Brexit is, is going to hurt his case. It says the book is not going to help. Well, because he doesn't want it to come out, right? So he's taking the position that, you know, if the book comes out, it's going to compromise grand jury information. I got news for people, by the way. Pomerantz is a very smart guy. He would not write a book that that uh, compromised grand jury information, which would only get him uh, in trouble. So obviously that that's not going to happen. But the other thing that that Bragg says is if this book gets released, uh, it'll hurt my case, which, you know, if – if if you were in a different line of work, that might be an argument that's persuasive. But why should Simon and Schuster care? You know, they don't. Um, it, it, there's no legal uh, impediment to them by by publishing something just because it's going to hurt a government position or hurt a prosecutor's case. So, I don't think the, I don't think Bragg is going to be able to stop Pomerantz's book from coming out. But I think the reason he doesn't want it to come out is he knows the left is going to be even angrier at him. Because obviously, if Mark is writing the book, Pomerantz is writing the book, he's going to write it from the best angle of why there was a case against Trump. And that's easy for an author. I've done both, right? I've written books that I've uh, I've tried cases. Um, when you try cases, you actually have to, to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt and, uh, you know, convince jurors. So... Uh, you know, writing a book is a little bit different than trying a case. Uh, so the, I'm sure the case is going to look very good when Mark lays it out in a book. That doesn't mean it would hold up in a in a courtroom. Essentially, and Andy, the other thing, Brian, can I just drill the drill down in a second? Essentially, yeah. Stormy Daniels is uh, was somebody that that has led to have an affair with the president. The president says, "I won. Let's just get rid of these. Uh, I want all these complaints about me. Let's just get rid of them." So they pay him off. Probably. Right. Michael Cohen writes the check. He gets reimbursed by the president. What's illegal? The only thing that's potentially illegal, Brian, is if the if the payoff is considered. Now, I don't buy this um, construction of the law, but I'm telling you what it is because you've asked me. Um, if you deem the payoff to be an in-kind campaign contribution – then it's got to it's got to comply with the campaign finance laws. So there's a limit to how much you can contribute in a campaign, which I think that's it. In, in, so that's what it's all about. Was, where, where what account yeah, he took the, he paid it out of? Yeah, but the thing is, Brian, it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the candidate. Like the candidate, even under the federal campaign finance laws, which are restrictive, the candidate can spend as much money as he wants on the campaign. He's got to disclose. Uh, so the issue is like, you know, it's not just that that, that Trump could have made a campaign uh, contribution. He would have to he would have to book it properly. Um, but you can still, you know, you can pay any amount of money for your own campaign that you want. So just because they prosecuted um, uh, the lawyer on it uh, doesn't mean that there was a case. I'm talking about Michael Cohn. Just because they prosecuted Cohn on it, who was limited to what was it twenty three hundred dollars i think at the time was the top contribution you could give um it doesn't it's not a limit on the candidate himself it's unbelievable so the fact you know the fact that cohen thinks that there was a crime that he pled guilty to doesn't mean it's the same thing as the trump because trump is in a different category as the candidate but is this a trial uh, is this a trial is this a jury thing I well, you know, look in New York. If you if you can get any case that you could bring in front of a New York jury, you have a good chance. It's like D.C., right? You have a good chance of convicting yeah. Trump. 
But the other thing, Brian, that we haven't talked about that I would just point out to people is this happened seven years ago. I know. You know, I mean, this is like, this, um, you're talking about like New York where you can't get the district attorney to prosecute actual violent gang crimes. Um, and he's going to go after a guy on something that you can't even explain how it's a crime that happened seven years ago. I don't, I don't know how he's going to get it in. I think the statute of limitations for most of this stuff is five or six years. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how they're planning to prove this case. You see, Andy, the thing is, it's just offensive. If they were doing it to Hillary Clinton, I go, what are you doing? Seven years yeah. ago, the Clinton Foundation, let it go. We moved on. And plus, with crime running rampant. In this city, in every major city, it's it's unbelievable that that we're just allowing this. Okay, another trial for Trump. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen again? Yeah, well, you know, look, the problem here, Brian, is the people of the city of New York and the people of the borough of Manhattan elected this guy, the district attorney. And what was it? Was it Megan who said that the democracy means the people should get what they want, good and hard? So I think that's what you're getting with uh, with uh, old Alvin Bragg. Probably. Uh, Andy, the other thing would be uh, we're talking about what happened over in Memphis. Uh, we've got up to seven people now fired. If you are uh, if you are looking at this situation um, from the cop's perspective, do you need to find out what led to this pulling pulling over of this victim? Or do you yeah. just look for a deal at this point? Well, if I'm you mean if I'm whether I'm prosecuting the case or defending it, Brian, I want to know everything that happened because that drives the deal that I'd be inclined to negotiate, right? So that tape looks terrible, uh, and it would it would be it, it, it's hard to imagine what could have happened in the run up to it that would have justified the hour that we see on the tape. Uh, on the other hand, you know. You want to know what it is, right? Um, and I thought it was very peculiar. Uh, and I, I say this as somebody who was disgusted by the yeah. by the tape and thinks it was the right thing for the prosecutor for the police to be fired instantly. Some people just don't have the temperament; they don't belong being cops. Um, but I don't like any story. You know, I heard Byron York wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was a brilliant point. I don't like any story that begins in the middle. You know, I don't like it when they when they show you the worst stuff first to, to kind of set in concrete what your reaction is to it. And then they give you the explanation later. I, I like to get things told to me from the beginning so I can understand or at least try to understand why what happened happened. And I don't think they gave it to us this way. That, that doesn't mean it's exculpatory. It doesn't mean these guys are innocent. But it is peculiar, isn't it, that we haven't gotten much information about the, the lead up to it. Right. Because, But I think looking at his background, it, it doesn't make you think uh, anything led to it. But they were angry. And what were they doing before? There was no get out of the car. It was you, – you heard it. It's all expletives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andy, yeah. thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you again. I pr- appreciate it, Brian. Oh, Thank wait, you. wait. Exit question. Do you know what's going on in Georgia? Yeah. Uh, with the um, election, uh, are we so, just waiting for? So, they have, so here's what happened. They finished with this special grand jury. The judge has taken under advisement the question whether to publicize the report. The jury, the grand jury voted to have it publicized. The prosecutor doesn't want it publicized at the moment because she's deciding whether to bring a case. She would rather keep it uh, under wraps until she makes a decision. The way the law works in Georgia that's a special grand jury. Their only job was to do a report. 
and now it's up to the district attorney to take that report and present it to another grand jury to seek charges if that's what she decides to do. Unbelievable. It never ends. I don't know how the, the stress, and I have nothing to do with the Trump camp, the stress that they must be going through is incredible. Um, it's, it's all, Brian, it's all to to keep me in business here, you know. And it's doing good, uh, from the writing to the commentating. <laughs> it's great. Uh, <laughs> Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. When we come back, I got to squeeze in some calls. I went a little bit long, but, man, I got to get that information. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll talk a little bit about 2024 when we come back. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You let them back on Twitter. If you have a person like that speaking, you can always block them. You don't have oh, to no, listen. I, I to also I, don't have to read it. Like, Correct. I'm with you. Oh, there, yeah. There's a thing, though, when a person is like that, that I think there's a great value in pushing back against him. And if he was a person that could learn from that, maybe there'd be a great value of yeah. him reading some of the pushback against him and altering the way he thinks. When you put stuff out there and people really f- severely disagree with what you're saying, you should experience that. So Joe Rogan weighing in on Kanye West, let him back on Twitter. He couldn't have said said more horrific things uh, in terms of his opinion on Hitler, in terms of opinion on Jews, obviously offensive. But um, he came back. I don't even know. Did he even apologize? I don't think he even apologized. He just kind of went away. Yeah, I I don't think he did. But I mean, this is a bigger question on social media. So obviously it's against everybody I know is against what he just said. Everyone I know. But is there anything? But he is free to say it. But social media, uh, Twitter is a private company. They don't, they don't have to be – they're not under uh, any obligation to keep him active. But the question is, at what point do you jump in? Like, what's offensive? You know, if, uh, offensive is what Bill Maher said in 9-11, saying whatever you want to say about the hijackers, you can't say they didn't have courage. That's offensive to us back then. Now we like, okay, you know, whatever, uh, you know, can Al-Qaeda hop on and start talking about how evil America is? Yes, but, I guess. Yeah. I told uh, uh, Omeini he does that now, doesn't he? It's the whole point of free speech, right? I mean, it's a very controversial view, but then it allows people to debate it and, you know, choose right from wrong. But everything you said there is correct. I mean, it's a free company. They can ban who they want. You know, so what is the right answer? And the thing is, well, I don't mind hearing. It doesn't hurt me to hear it. But what if people follow it? What if the billionaire... Uh, singer songwriter rapper has followers they're going to say yeah I'll, I'll 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 have the same hate beliefs so is it your responsibility to to stop people that have followings i mean it's a bigger debate it's not easy to regulate From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, right from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Yes, in Midtown Manhattan, where the homeless um, take a backseat to the illegal immigrants. Great. Uh, General Jack Keane is waiting, standing by, a lot moving. In the Ukraine war, a lot of challenges with China. I got to talk to the best general in the world about that, and we'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney uh, shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. 
Number three. A new poll shows Americans don't think inflation or illegal immigration are the country's biggest problems. They say it's a failure in leadership. According to the latest Gallup poll, 21% of Americans believe poor leadership is the most important problem plaguing the nation. Wow, Gallup study shows government of poor leadership, number one problem, really? From the president to Congress, from 15 rounds to pick a speaker, to the classified documents in a garage, it all outpaces inflation and immigration. Is that how you feel? Weigh in. Number two. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country. The different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation Absolutely. that we all must follow. I and would- it's not. What's wrong with that? How could someone say, I'm not nationalizing a police force. That makes sense, and that's Commissioner Pat Ryder. Trey Nichols' death results in more firings and accusations in his, as his funeral is set for tomorrow. EMTs now gone, too. What's the takeaway from this law enforcement? Is it race? I don't think so. Number one. You always got a handful that, that are grateful and they know where they came from. But most of them, they don't care. They entitled. Their self-entitlement is beyond belief. They believe that the hotel is theirs and they're going to do what, well, what they want. Uh, it's incredible. Felipe Rodriguez, essentially a bellhop at this elite uh, hotel where illegal immigrants are taking over. They storm our border to get bus to major cities like New York protesting the conditions right now, a dumb deed punished. All of this is unsustainable. When will the American people say, I've had enough, Democrats and Republicans? Uh, Meanwhile, we'll debate this. Meanwhile, Ukraine's got no time for debate. They're holding on for their lives while holding on to the land that they got back from the Russians who are just sending their people into a meat grinder. General Jack Keane joins us now, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute of the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, welcome back. Oh, delighted to be here with you, Brian, and your audience, as always. Uh, yeah, General. First off, uh, on where we're at with Ukraine, the president decides uh, just on a on a on instinct, he is not going to uh, he is not going to give F-16s to Ukraine. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. I mean, I I thought having advanced aircraft to supplement the the aircraft the Ukrainians already have in the MiGs always made sense uh, when they were asked for uh, a little less than a year ago. And it even makes more sense now because the Ukrainians are trying to go on the offense to conduct combined arms maneuver with tanks, infantry carriers, infantry to help the tanks make the penetration through the obstacles, artillery and support. And also an F-16 can provide air-to-ground support, which would be instrumental in conducting this offensive operation, but they can also assist with removing the pressure on the cities and the air campaigns the Russians are conducting against them. Air defense missiles certainly is a major uh, weapon system to use against that, but also air-to-air capability that the F-16 would provide would also be instrumental. So for the life of me, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, Offensive, listen, this is nonsense, offensive defense that people use to describe the kinds of weapons. Everything the Ukrainians are doing is defense. Russia invaded their country. Every weapon system that they have used is, is being used for one reason only, and that is to push the Russians out of their country. Yeah. And it's Russia who's invaded them. 
and they're taking completely defensive actions to do that. To, to label some of this, well, that's an offensive weapon system. I mean, my, my God, yeah, Russia's inside their country, and they're conducting offensive operations to drive them out of the country. Um, it's crazy, it, it, General. It, it, There's a lack of logic. Well, I just got to tell you right now, the Kiev Independent, which is a Twitter handle, uh, which is credible, Austria and Hungary agreed not to supply any weapons to uh, Ukraine. So they're out. We also know the Russian forces continue ground attacks to regain lost positions um, and in uh, some of those areas west of Crimea, I think the name is. Um, and it looks like they're starting to get ready for an offensive in the spring. You also write in the uh, Institute for the Study of War that the Iranian state media is reporting that Iran and Russia established direct financial communication channels between Iran banks and more than 800 Russian banks. How significant are all those things? Well, that's to relieve pressure because Russia is out of the the world's uh, financial messaging system, the so-called SWIFT system. So this is designed to relieve some pressure uh, on Russia as a result of the as a result of the sanctions. We are not doing anything to really push back on the Iranians. Our, the Biden administration's Middle East policy, Brian, is is was focused on one thing, and that's the nuclear deal. And despite all the concessions the United States has made, there still is no deal. But there's no policy for the Middle I East know. either. We should, we should be maximum sanctions on the Iranians even before they began to provide advanced weapons systems to Russia. Now that they're doing that, I mean, the, the Europeans are frustrated with Iran providing those weapons systems. So they're actually... They could be leveraged to join the sanction protocol, but there's no policy. Why are, Netanyahu is in power now. Blinken is there. Hopefully, Netanyahu, I know, will do a couple things. One is he wants to strengthen the Abraham Accords, and we should help do that. And what have we been doing? We've been stiffening the Arab countries. It makes no sense when Iran is seeking domination you know, of the Middle East. And... We're going to see Netanyahu, he's already started to take espionage action once again against the Iranians. I mean, for a number of years, the Mossad was almost in residence in Iran, uh, taking down factories, nuclear sites, assassination, assassinating nuclear scientists and other military uh, development people who were supporting their nuclear enterprise. But we don't have a policy. Uh, and hopefully out of the meetings that have taken place in Israel, uh, Netanyahu will encourage a little bit more aggressiveness on the part of the Biden administration uh, not to turn their back on the least. Yeah, I just think they blew up part of their nuclear program with a drone the other day. Kind of interesting. Meanwhile, Zelensky spoke yet, uh, two days ago, and this is what he says he needs from us. It would be possible to stop this Russian terror if we could provide our military with relevant missile power, so that terrorists do not feel impunity. Ukraine needs long-range missiles, in particular to remove this option for invaders to destroy Ukrainian cities using missile launchers deployed far from the front line. So they, they, want, they want the attackums. Yeah, and so our audience understands they we gave them the HIMARS, and that took some time to actually get those in, in the hands of the Ukrainians. And they were absolutely decisive 
and, and the Ukrainians being successful in the late summer, early fall with their counteroffensive campaign because they used the HIMARS to take down a lot of the artillery depots and ammunition and logistics support that the Russians had, but they can't reach the drone bases and the other support systems that are in Crimea. And that's why they want the, the long-range attackers. They have told the United States that they would give the United States target approval so that they would n guarantee that they don't intend to use these long-range missiles to fire into Russia, although they have absolute justification to do so. But they know the United States uh, has concerns about that. And it, that missile goes 190 miles and would be able to, to deal with the logistics and infrastructure that's in Crimea that is supporting the Russian offensive that's coming up in a couple of months. Yeah, it would be very helpful right. to get those systems. Right. It is, I don't know what the, what the reluctance could possibly be about doing that at this point, almost a year into the war. I don't see it at all as being an escalatory weapon system. I just don't know who's making decisions. It sounds like a civilian doesn't understand this stuff and doesn't understand what war's about, and they should be leaning on their military. What a disappointment the Secretary of Defense is, who knows the difference. It was brought up to me, too, by one of the Marines, and you mentioned to me last week on Fox & Friends that the Marines gave up all their tanks. Where are those tanks? Part of their new operations looking to the future, they don't want tanks. Then someone said, what about this? Is there a tank called the M60? which is the precursor to the tanks we're using, where they're just sitting around. Can we put some of them into theater? Well, there's, there's a few hundred Marine tanks that are not being used by their operational forces, so they're in storage. There's about 2,500 M1 tanks in the hands of our troops, but there's close to 3,000 tanks that are in storage. We have something called the Army uh, Preposition storage sites where we have seven of these, two in the United States, but five overseas, two in Europe, one in Kuwait, one in Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean, and a couple out in the Pacific. And because of the tyranny of distance, it takes, you know, a couple of weeks to ship tanks and other equipment, heavy equipment on ships. So we pre-position it so we can fly the troops there, and they fall in on it. It is a brilliant strategy, something we've been using for 30-something years. We have hundreds of tanks in Germany Makes in one of these sites that could easily hand them over to the United right. States, I mean, to the Ukrainians to use. And listen, we gave M1 tanks to the Iraqis, and we, we provided... Uh, instruction on the logistics and the maintenance challenge the tanks have, and the Iraqis were able to deal with it. They also use some civilian contractors to help them do that. The Ukrainians can handle all Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. you kidding? Yeah, I want to get in China if I can, General. Uh, the Chinese foreign minister on the thought of Kevin McCarthy going to Taiwan. Here's what he said. Cut 30. It must be pointed out that the U.S. cannot ask for communication and cooperation while interfering in China's internal affairs and harming China's interests. The Taiwan question is at the very core of China's core interests. The U.S. side should never attempt to cross this red line. Do you think that the speaker should go, and what else should we be doing? And do you believe as though this, uh, this general, when he came out and said he expects a war with China in 2025, do you think he's right? Well, first of all, uh, 
what China is trying to get to happen here is to isolate Taiwan, and that's why they put pressure on countries breaking to break off diplomatic relations. They put pressure on international bodies not to invite the Taiwanese to it. They want that isolation, and they want they want to convince the Taiwanese that reunification is inevitable. They use intimidation and coercion to force Taiwan to capitulate. But it's very appropriate and doesn't violate anything dealing with the Taiwan Relations Act that China and the United States agreed to for us to visit and principal people to visit Taiwan. And certainly the, the Speaker of the House to provide the Taiwanese public support and, and, and bring bipartisan representatives with them is very appropriate. And it's part of pushing back on the intimidation and coercion that China is using to break Taiwan's will. And listen, we self-deter ourselves here, Brian. It's, it's ridiculous what we do. The Secretary of Defense doesn't visit. Secretary of State doesn't visit. The, the National Security Advisor doesn't visit. The Chairman doesn't. Joint Chiefs. Not even the Indo-Pacific Commander doesn't visit. And yet he would have to execute a war plan with the Taiwanese generals. None of this makes sense. We self-deter ourselves from doing that. It's not in violation of anything. And we've got to stop it and stop being intimidated by the fact that China is going to get provoked right. do you and, and do something to in, uh, increase the provocation. Do we have to confront the Chinese on this issue, and we need to support Taiwan. As to the general about the war, I mean, the real issue is, I don't know if he's right or not. I suspect we likely will not go to war in the next two years, but I don't know either, nor does he. But we do know the facts of this is that we do not have an effective military deterrence because it's eroded because of the 9-11 wars. And that is the danger, and that's what he knows because he served in the Indo-Pacific region. That is what is in the back of his mind in driving that comment. Chinese have more ships, more planes, more missiles than we have. We only have an advantage in submarines. And, and that is a fact. And when we play war games, the answers we get from those war games are very unfavorable. We've got to upgun Taiwan, remove the $19 billion uh, backfill that has been held up from foreign military sales. Taiwan has the money. They paid for it. But that backlog has been there for years. Congress has got to fix that. And we've got to put more capability into Taiwan, because if hostilities broke out, we'd never be able to provide the island the capability that we're providing to Ukraine after the invasion. We have to do yeah, it. Yeah, you just wonder how, how committed yeah, South Korea and Japan would be to helping uh, Taiwan out, uh, even though it's probably in their best interest. General. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, General. Appreciate it. Thanks for the insight. Yeah, always good talking to you, Brian, and your audience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. one uh, 408 I went a little long, but we got to get the general updating us what's happening in the world because it certainly affects us here. Uh, we'll talk to him, uh, talk to you in just a moment. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When will the brutality finally lead to some police reform from the ground up? Because 
clearly. It doesn't matter if it's a white policeman or a black policeman. It is a problem in the police and the policing itself. In that incident, absolutely. And does things happen? Yes. But you have any interactions police have on a daily basis? 700,000. Almost every police department is deficient in numbers. And as horrific as this big story is that happened in Memphis, I worry long term. More people say, yeah, keep... uh, I'm out of the academy. Uh, My number came up, but the academy chose me. I'm not going to do it. And that's the key. How many quality people are not going to do it? Because after 20 years, they wonder if they're going to survive. They're going to get sued. They're going to be looked at differently. They want to be able to wear their their uniform home and be proud. And they're not going to be able to. And when things like this happen, it's just detrimental to everybody. But I like Pat uh, Pat Ryder's idea of just having – Fundamental training in all departments. These small sheriff departments with 10, 12 people, let's give them fundamental training. And if they don't have the instructors, provide them. Do you know how many people that would like to earn extra money? Hey, guys, I'm going to be going over to uh, a small town in Texas to help them out with their standardized training. Uh, And, of course, there's latitude within your different challenges, whether you're in the desert, a rainy area, whether you're in a winter environment. All that stuff, you got to adapt to the climate, true. But certain fundamentals about when to put your hands on somebody when you can't, how to cuff somebody when you can't, when someone's on PCP, how to get them under control if it's possible. What do you do if you're outnumbered? What if a crowd turns on you? All the things that smaller departments can't handle, maybe the bigger ones can. Train the trainers. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's misleading that everything is always racial. I mean, I feel like this is one of the big flaws of the left these days, is they have this monofocus. You know, again, when the when the education system breaks down, people don't know a hell of a lot, so they focus on something that's very obvious, black and white. Everyone can understand racism, and of course it is still a real thing in this country. It's just not the only thing. Yes. And when you have to, when you're Bill Maher and you got to be the voice of reason and logic over and over again, it's insane. I mean, it's it's not like we're going to Rush Limbaugh or 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 um, any conservative commentator or columnist to say it's not all about race. You're talking about a Democrat who who is first off. It, you know, there'd be the, Bill Maher would probably be with Martin Luther King Jr. marching for freedom in the '60s. So he's saying it's not all about race all the time. That's a big difference. Uh, here's Byron Donalds, and he weighed in last night. He was on with Laura Ingram, Cut 11. The members of Congress, what we have to understand is that you can't nationalize every issue. What happened in Memphis, in Memphis was heinous. It was awful. But the reality is the local police department is the one that's got to solve these problems. They have to look at their training standards. They have to look at their hiring practices. Every law enforcement agency has to do that. Specific to Washington, there are some, there's a handful of remedies we can probably do. We could probably help a lot of these police departments with equipment and training. But you can't solve those problems for them from Capitol Hill. Law enforcement will continue to be a local issue in every community. And communities have to come together and solve it. Yeah, so a lot of people weighing in. For example, in Memphis, they fired two AMTs who responded to the police beating and just sat there. Uh, six Memphis police officers and a seventh have been fired, one that showed up late. 
uh, and then because they were there, the other one picked up a, a mace, a can of mace, and started spraying it. Not good. But also people point to the leadership. But I, I just don't understand how you get leadership out there on the street instantly, although this went on for about an hour. Brian Claypool, a criminal defense attorney, was on last night with Trace Gallagher, cut 12. This is not a reform type of case or a training type of case. Why do I say that? Training issues when two or three cops show up and one of them shoots because they don't say, put your hands up or I'll shoot. Mm -hmm. That's an example of a training issue. This involved all the officers who had this mob mentality. They all exhibited rage the minute that they pulled over Tyrese. That is a systemic departmental issue within a police department. It's a culture that has been permeating and allowed to exist because of upper management. When I see you post here, oh, the sixth and seventh cops have been uh, charged. What about the leadership? This is a leadership issue allowing that that mentality Mm -hmm. to permeate. I just don't know how you see if you're an EMT. Never been there. But you show up used to treating horrific people, uh, people in horrific shape at, at a scene. And you see Tyree just sitting there, um, sitting against a car, everyone leaving him alone. Why wouldn't EMT say, guys, enough. I got it. He's unconscious. What, what are you doing? I don't care what he did. My goal is to keep people alive. I mean, he would have been exactly a hero. Instead, they stood back and did nothing. So people are upset and they want to tap into race. I don't see it as race. I'd see four, uh, five black guys beat up a black guy, uh, and I think it's terrible policing, way too aggressive. Man, I hope a guy like that never pulls me over. Mark Thiessen weighed in. Cut 17. So we could have had police reform two years ago uh, when when Tim Scott introduced the Justice Act, and the Democrats filibustered it. He offered to reach across. He included Democratic proposals like making lynching a hate crime and ending chokeholds and all sorts of things, and he offered unlimited amendments. And they filibustered it because they didn't want to let Donald Trump sign bipartisan police reform into law. They cared more about having the issue than solving the problem. And that's why we don't have police reform. It is true. They just broke it off at the end because he wasn't going to get rid of qualified immunity. He better not. Heather McDonald, who lives in this world, uh, pro-cop, sure, but she also is pro-stats. Cut 18. Well, this makes me long for the days, Tucker, when we heard ad nauseum from academia that blacks cannot be racist because racism equals power plus privilege and blacks, by definition, have neither of them. Now we're at the point where racism is a virtually non-falsifiable proposition. My, my favorite example of this new paradigm is the claim that the fact that the five officers in Memphis were indicted for murder is itself a product of racism. So, you know, what's an ally to do? The only thing you can do is absolve favored victim groups of all accountability. Yeah, so everybody knows that what those five did were was horrendous, but no one's defending it. But when you start going into the race area, like, for example, there was one officer that arrived late, hadn't been fired yet, and quickly Ben Jealous and Al Sharpton have a press conference today, tomorrow's a funeral, where they say, why hasn't the white guy been fired yet? Please, what a reach that is. Are you kidding? So Ben Jealous, who was former... Uh, president of the NAACP, deep thinker, Oxford grad, uh, joined me on One Nation on Saturday night and said this about what we know right now. Cut 14. Now, this is a low point, I think, for um, anyone who thought that changing the complexion of policing would change the culture of it. But when we're dealing with abusive policing, it's not just about racism. The stats, frankly, of poor whites show us there's a lot of people who get abused and they're not black. 
the other thing that we're dealing with that's been consistent in this country from the beginning is authoritarianism. It was there when our country was ruled by colonial powers, witnessed the Boston Massacre. And it's the culture of most police departments. And that sort of like essentially, boy, you best obey me kind of attitude uh, that exists amongst officers of all colors. So I thought that was uh, some deep thinking there with Ben. He went on to say this, cut 15. We've got to recognize there's a real problem of authoritarian personalities. That's the type of personality that behaves the way that these officers did. And we've got to weed those people out of the force. They should not be allowed to be hired in the first place. Uh, Cornell University, the town where they're based, Ithaca, for about the last eight years, has required all job applicants to be tested for their type of personality. If they're authoritarian, they don't hire them. It's three quarters of all applicants have that personality, but it's only one out of 10 people in the country. So all all we need is more officers that are more like most of us, and, and, and we'll see a big leap forward. We'll see. We know the family is going to be at the State of the Union address and the president's going to make uh, sweeping statements that racism exists in this country and we're never going to get rid of it. And I've got to legislate to get out of it the same way he responsibly said Jim Crow 2.0. I'm sure they're going to script it in and he's going to ad lib to make it worse about all this. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, what's going on, the classified documents debacle. Once again, the president just shrugs off to reporters when they ask about the classified document documents. How bad is it? Would you testify? In fact, here's the question. This question was thrown at him. If this, uh, if the uh, special counsel who started this week asked for your testimony, would you give testimony? Biden said, oh, I don't even know, even know if I could touch that. Of course you could touch it. You could answer the question. Yeah, I'll cooperate the same way 9-11. They would cooperate. The documents are a problem. Him saying there's no regrets are an issue. Him saying there's no there there is totally inaccurate. So having this, having said all that, why haven't they gone through the Rehoboth foam? Why haven't they gone through Hunter's house, his brother's house, other areas? Why haven't they revealed what exactly is in these documents? Britt Hume thinks they knows knows why. Cut 25. And the question is, which is the worst problem? People being careless with classified documents or there being so many classified documents that people lose respect for the system? Um, it's probably a bit of both. Uh, but, uh, you know, I believe that any change on this will happen when I see it. I think the temptation of government employees to hide their work behind classification markings is simply too great for too many of them to resist. So if you have something that's controversial, you just don't want to get out because it's embarrassing, it's now classified, that could be an issue. But I just think it's very telling, and we told you on Monday, that they took the president's personal notes and they said it came, it had some classified notations. So some of the intelligence was classified on his handwritten notes, which makes one wonder, what was he reading that he had to take notes on and wanted to keep, and that he brought home with himself anyway? And then we see this other letter that Hunter wrote that put forward with Devin Archer that gives details why exactly the, how they could benefit from an energy alliance with Burisma. In such detail, you know a guy that never spent any days in oil and gas for a living could never come up by himself. So these are some of the issues and things that the DOJ has got to come across and they got to cooperate. Marco Rubio, along with Senator Warner, sat down to say, you got to come forward. Don't tell me. A special prosecutor is looking at it. We need to know what the topics were for the classified information that you took, Mr. President. Cut 23. This is very straightforward. We are the committee in charge with making sure that our intelligence agencies are doing a good job. Part of their job is to protect classified information from espionage and from uh, putting our country in danger. 
we know that there are letters and documents and material, the media seems to know more about it than Congress does, that are out there that were not stored properly, <coughs> they're in his garage or whatever. We want to know what those materials are. Yeah, and Senator Warner says the same thing. Now, I know they're not into punishment. Senator Tom Cotton said, what if we just stop confirming nominees and ambassadors and secretaries and underlings from and directors? And then quickly they said, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that because this is our party. Yeah, 5149, it's definitely your party. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little about the economy with Stuart Varney, Varney and Company, uh, and talk about the Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles, which I'm going to be covering. We're going down there. We'll have a show Friday and another one Monday to recap all the action. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. All right, just keep in mind, right after I go on with Stuart, there's always a little bit room, a little bit of room at the end to squeeze in some calls so you can get online. Allison, we also might want to get some responses to our Facebook Live that we did this morning. To a lot of people get on, they watch it on tape, and they wonder, do I comment? Do I go back and look at some of the comments after? We're going to start doing that on the show. But among the things we're talking about is the president of the United States is coming right here, and he is going to be talking about an infrastructure problem, I think, uh, the, the infrastructure project, $300 million. So let's listen. It is now 10.51 Eastern time. That means here is Brian Kilmeade. Brian, the president arrives in New York City next hour. He's going to tout his infrastructure plan. Just down the road from here, dozens of migrants crowding an upscale hotel. They're refusing to leave. They're out on the streets. They don't want to go to the shelters in Brooklyn. The president will not see any of them. Why is there this big disconnect here? Because no one has the courage to say to him, like Mayor Adams, 43,000 people have come here since the spring. I went down and checked out the border myself. It is out of control. They have overrun one hotel, and now we're putting, they're refusing to go to a Brooklyn Naval Yard which has cots, bathrooms, showers, ping pong, three meals a day, a menu, flat screens. This is better, more than likely, than anything else they left in their country. They don't belong here. And I have news for them. If they don't like it here and it's better in their country, they can leave. And the President of the United States should be confronted with this. Governor Abbott had no problem meeting him down, telling him how bad the situation was in Texas. But they don't have the courage to tell him here. And he is oblivious and doesn't care what goes on in these cities. How else would you explain it, Stuart? He doesn't care. And this embarrassment, if you look at the front page of most of the New York newspapers, it is all about these activists, advocates for illegals, saying that they're more important than the homeless that we have here, that the working poor that has to use his shelters. They're complaining and destroying a beautiful hotel, the Watson Hotel. Have you seen pictures of this? Yep. Instead of appreciating what they have, they're destroying it. You got it. I, on a personal note, Brian, you know, I was coming into work this morning about 3.30 in the morning in the middle of New York City, and I saw a family of five people. Uh, they looked bedraggled and exhausted, and they were just wandering the streets of Manhattan. Uh, I, and my heart went out to yeah. them. But I'm thinking, hey, pre- Mr. President, you should see this, man, because you're partly responsible. It's like this, and I put it, I'll, I'll use this analogy. Back in the 90s and late 80s, everyone was using steroids. And, uh, and they said to you, you have to say to yourself, if I'm in AAA and i got to get to the major leagues, i got to do it because everyone else is doing it. 
So that's what these people are doing. This is my window to get to America once and for all, so I'll do it. So what you got to do is make it illegal, make it two, two strikes, one strike you're down for 60 days, the next you're down for a year, and the penalties became too great, and people stopped with the performance-enhancing drugs. The same thing you do. You say, when you come here illegally, you are eliminated. You are no longer eligible. And then you let the word get out that the wall's going up and we're going to push you back. And it's not worth it to bring the family of five through the jungles and across the Rio Grande. But right now they're saying, how can I rationalize not giving my family the opportunity to once and for all get to America because the president has let it seem like that? That's right. That's right. Uh, I understand that you're fired up about President Biden touting the EV tax credit while sitting in an $86,000 luxury Hummer. The Hummer does not qualify for the tax break. You're fired up about this, right? Either does Tesla. I mean, Tesla is built in China. So if you don't make, I understand the thought of make it in America. But if you have electric cars, most of which are built outside America, don't tell me I'm getting a tax break if I have an American-built car. Number two is, do you notice Toyota is out they're like, I'll go hybrid. It doesn't make any sense. Do you know something else in the Wall Street Journal yesterday? A big push to stop the mining of cobalt and lithium, yes, necessary exactly. elements of batteries. Yes. You can't have it both ways. Let us make our policy. own batteries, but yep. you're stopping us from doing that while making yep. us get into an electric car. Crazy. I've got 30 seconds. Can you tell me who you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, I think the Eagles are the more complete team, and I need to see personally – Eyeball uh, Patrick Mahomes' high ankle sprain because uh, he was he lost 25% of his game and he was still awesome without the mobility. And I know that he must have got hit. He got hit so hard on that last play, running on that ankle on that last play. I just wonder in 10 days, 14 days, is he going to be able to play like that? So that's why I give the Eagles uh, the advantage. But can the Chiefs win? Absolutely. Can they sell this game? For sure. And the biggest story that's underreported is that I'm going. And I don't think yeah. you can report that enough. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. And you're going to be there for four days, aren't you? I mean, just immersed yes. in Super Bowl. Yes, stuff. Okay. that's all true. Doing tons of programming. Maybe a yeah. simulcast with Stuart Varney? <laughs> oh, it's entirely possible. But you wouldn't want to, an American audience would not want to hear me droning on about football. You know that, Brian. You know it. But uh, I don't I think that right now it's a global game. And we know that London's about the almost almost got a franchise yes, uh, a few does. years ago before the pandemic could get one. Brian, we're out of time. It was great. And we'll see you again real soon. All Still right, ahead thank on you. This program. All right. We've got a couple a uh, couple more minutes here. One, eight, six, six, four, oh, eight, seven, six, six, nine. You know, it just it blows me away. You have these environmentalists stop us from going for lithium, cobalt and all these fine elements that you need to make batteries. So we have to go into places like Africa and the Congo or go to this place called China and get their rare earth or get their batteries because we covered our earth too much and people don't want to see the stripping uh, of the natural elements and they don't want to see their environment damaged. Well, you can't have it both ways. You, do, you, want, to have a ga- you want to have a gas oven, you want to have a great restaurant, but you don't want to use gas on your stove because somebody told you it doesn't burn clean when it does. So uh, these people are getting their comeuppance. Sooner or later, we're going to realize the windmills don't have any long-term effectiveness to be our predominant source of energy. They're going to realize we need, always will need oil and gas. We need it for our electronics. We need it for that iPhone that you have in your car. We need it for the jeans that you're probably wearing listening to us. 
all this talk of putting that in a rearview mirror that Al Gore rambles on about in Davos is all just folly. Hey, go to BrianKilme.com, order any of my books. A big pushback what's on Hulu now, and that is a story of the 1619 Project. I give you seven separate examples of, of America greatness in our past and why 1619 will never add up. Don't move. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Dana Prino is going to be our sole guest this hour. Who needs another another person when you have Dana coming in? She does it all uh, fresh off her show, America's Newsroom. And then she's getting set to uh, be on the five. So for her to give us this hour, that means she's probably not going home. She oftentimes says she goes home to do yoga in between shows. It's a tough schedule. I mean, she lives in the city, but it's really tough to be off for five, six hours and then come back. The problem is her show's a hit from 9 to 11. And the, the 5 is the number one show of all cable television, period. I mean, it gets like a 3-4. Uh, Tucker gets like a 3-2. And, you know, everybody else does really good. But they used to, for a while, we had a couple shows. Glenn Beck was the first one, I think, to do decent at 5. Then in came the 5. Before that, Geraldo had a show there. Different people would try there. It was almost impossible. They said it's just an impossible time. Everyone's commuting, coming home, and it's just, that ended up being totally wrong. Also, the idea of people changing the way they uh, watch is certainly it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. A new poll shows Americans don't think inflation or illegal immigration are the country's biggest problems. They say it's a failure in leadership. According to the latest Gallup poll, 21% of Americans believe poor leadership is the most important problem plaguing the nation. Uh, that is unbelievable. A Gallup study shows government and poor leadership. Okay. From the president to Congress, from 15 rounds to pick a speaker to classify documents by a Corvette, it all outpaces inflation and immigration. Do you feel the same way? Number two. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country. The different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation Absolutely. that we all must follow. Yeah, what and it's is- not. And it's not nationalizing a police force to say that's Pat Ryder, one of the finest police commissioners in the country. Trey Nichols' death results in more firings and accusations uh, as his funeral gets poised to be a big time event on Wednesday. EMTs and late arriving officers got the axe. What's the takeaway from the enforcement? Is it about race? I don't think so. Number one. Well, you always got a handful that, that are grateful and they know where they came from. But most of them, they don't care. They entitled. Their self-entitlement is beyond belief. They believe that the hotel is theirs and they're going to do what, well, what they want. It's crazy. Felipe Rodriguez, essentially a bellhop for a row hotel, Watson Hotel, all full of illegal immigrants. They're ingrates. Illegals storm our border, get bused to major cities like New York City, protesting their conditions. A dumb deed punished. 
All of this unsustainable. When will the American people say they have had enough? You notice they didn't say Democrats or Republicans. The American people. I mean, think about this. If you know somebody that's homeless or you know somebody in a, a major city like New York, they're paying $700 for a, uh, over a studio apartment where the end of your bed is the shower and literally you have to walk sideways in between your bed in the shower in order to move around your apartment and you think you're fortunate. And then you find out illegal immigrants are staying in these beautiful hotels. And the hotels are happy because they're getting more money than they possibly got. Plus, they have a guaranteed 100 percent occupancy. And then you see some pictures as Philip Rodriguez sent with on his room. And they're wrecking the place, let alone drunk and fighting in the lobbies and the stairwells, doing all kinds of crazy, uh, crazy stuff. Bottom line is, I'm not saying everyone, but 85%. So then they come up with the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn shipyards, and they put a big canopy over it. They get a bunch of bathrooms in there. They put some cots, flat screens, put menus and food, ping pong and different uh, events, uh, different things to do to stay active, to give you a place to stay while you transition. I don't know, transition or what, as you wait for your court date, but you transition, not physically, like everybody else talking about in schools, you transition to be in part of being an illegal immigrant in America, and then you decide when people say you got to go to the Brooklyn Yards, you say, no, I'm not going to go do that. What do you mean you're not going to do it? I don't like it. It's it's depressing. Listen to this Venezuelan migrant complain about the accommodations at the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal Shelter. Cut 11. Cut 5. We don't want to go to there because there is very bad uh, situation about everything. It's up to four bedrooms for like 500 people. You know, uh, it's not just that. We need to cross the street for use the bathrooms, for take a shower and come back to the bags. Um, this bags is close to everybody. That's, that's so bad. Nutritious meals three times a day. Hot showers, controlled temperature. You have uh, transportation anytime. They give you ferry passes, MTA passes to get all around the city. Believe me, that adds up. So now we're seeing people say they're ungrateful about it, which is crazy. It's insane. Senator John Kennedy always speaks plain English. Uh, They're lucky to have in Louisiana. Here was he said about how to fix the illegal immigration issue and how Kamala Harris has been an epic fail. She should have got dropped from the ticket by refusing to do what the president asked her to do. Cut to. She's been, along with the president, of course, she has been dead wrong about how to fix the border. Um, it's not quantum physics. Let me cut to the chase. If, if, if I were king for a day and I were asked to fix the human train wreck at the southern border that the vice president and the president ha- have created, here's what I do. Number one, it is against the law to try to sneak into our country. If you are caught, I would deport you immediately. Number two, it is against the law to enter our country and to try to stay here by claiming you are a political refugee if you are not. If you are caught lying, I would deport you immediately. Number three, I would adopt a Remain in Mexico program. And you know they do that remain in your country and apply or go to the next country and apply for refugee status? And that is exactly what Trump had in place. And they said from Cuba, Venezuela, I think one other country, they've dropped about 50%. And then when they look at these applications and they said, if you apply, they'll send a plane and they'll pick you up. Now, my feeling is they want to get us out of the headlines. They want to fly over the border where Bill Malusian and Griff Jenkins can't use their cameras. 
and they want to fly them in and just drop them into cities and hopefully they won't be noticed. But still, the numbers have gone down. What you have to do is tell people that it's not worth the risk because there's a great chance you're not going to get in. You cannot sell everything you own, pack up and get in. And that would be a way to stop it. One would stop the other, stop the other, and then make their countries better. Incentivize those countries to keep their people there. Start putting video cameras on their border to see who's streaming through. Can't afford it. You have this mayor in New York City said they want $2 billion to pay for the 43,000 illegal immigrants that are here and need accommodations and how they've stressed the city and how many millionaires we have lost in this city because they don't want to pay the ridiculous amount of taxes for crime being high and the homeless situation being uh, high as well. So we're seeing some of the ramifications. Here is Mayor Eric Adams pushing back on those people complaining about the Brooklyn Yard, saying the heat's fine, and he played ping pong, cut one. I just had to come here when I started hearing all the rumors about it was too cold. My brother got on shorts. He's inside. It's warm inside. Uh, about uh, the food not being there. Uh, you know, healthy food is presence. Even the snacks are healthy. We just need to stop the anxiety. They're saying anxiety like it's a normal thing, first day of school. No. You should feel every day grateful for all the free stuff you're getting in a country that should have said, no, you can't get in. You don't qualify in many cases. Or you could do about it the right way and be one of the first country, one of the only country, industrialized countries that's actually increasing population with immigrants that are properly screened. All right, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come back, and I see the lines are jammed now. Uh, we'll take some calls with Dana Perino, get her take on all that. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's misleading that everything is always racial. I mean, I feel like this is one of the big flaws of the left these days, is they have this monofocus. You know, again, when the, when the education system breaks down, people don't know a hell of a lot, so they focus on something that's very obvious, black and white. Everyone can understand racism, and of course it is still a real thing in this country. Mm-hmm. It's just not the only thing. And that was Bill Maher talking to Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston says, we got to get critical race theory everywhere. And Bill Maher, of all people, Dana Perino, who's fresh off America's newsroom uh, and making Bill Hemmer feel better about the Bengals losing in the title <laughs> game. But Bill Maher is, again, the voice of reason saying critical race theory is not an accurate way and we shouldn't be doing a lot of things that critical race theory brings to uh, education, especially to young kids. Uh, how is that that the traditional Democrat, liberal Democrat, seems to be so rational? Is it him or is the Democratic Party changed? I, I think that the Democratic Party has changed and moved decidedly far left. And, you know, you saw this basically taking place over several decades in academia. But now people who went to those universities are in positions of power and um, they talk amongst themselves. And somebody like Bill Maher is uh, secure in his own uh, career and in his own thinking and very articulate and persuasive, I believe. And I still think that he has maintained the credibility with the left so that they still listen to him. You know, that's a trick, right? Right, right. Because if you, sometimes if you start speaking 
I don't want to say truth to power, but speaking plainly to people, they can start to tune you out. That hasn't happened with him yet. His um, platform and his show is so long established that I think he feels pretty comfortable with where he is and comfortable with, with saying what he believes. And one thing is pretty clear. He's not in a vacuum. Nope. He talks to a lot of different people, mm-hmm. and that's why he's astounding. Like, for example, I notice when Chuck Todd interviews Senator Ron Johnson or, or uh, Congressman uh, uh, Jim Jordan, some of his questions are so naive about, about whether it's a laptop or it's about the school of thought when it comes to the documents with the uh, next to the Corvette and the and some of the notes that are now taken in. He goes, well, Donald Trump did it, and he put it. Guys, that's being thoroughly investigated. You could just be outraged about the Corvette with documents in it, and you could be outraged about the classified notes that go back 16 years it just is so different than what Tim Russert used to do. Well, what's also interesting about that is that it's not just Republicans who are saying that about the documents. It's Senate Democrats. Right. Right. So, so stay in the stay exactly. in the conversation. Exactly. It's hard to, hard to get people to, to choke up on that. Here's more of the debate with Brian Cranston uh, over, the, over this weekend's past show. It's 400 years that we've dealt with this. Oh. And our country still has not taken responsibility or accountability for the history of the systemic racism that's in this country. What should we do more? Well, I mean, for for one thing, uh, critical race theory, I think, is essential to be teaching. Critical race theory can mean it's I mean, it's just one of these catch all terms. If you mean we should honestly teach our past, of course, if you mean more what the uh, 1619 book says, which is that it's just the essence of America and that we are irredeemable. That's just wrong. And he goes on and they debate and, and like Brian Cranston's floored that he's having this argument. Yeah, he's probably thinking like, how could we actually disagree? I don't know if you had a chance to read Gerard, uh, Jerry Baker of the Wall Street Journal. He has a column in this morning's paper. It's very provocative. And it's asking questions that I think that Brian Cranston and uh, Bill Maher, you and me – anybody who is interested in this topic, and I think there are a lot of people in America are, is to look at this and recognize that I think what we all can see, right, you took out the variable of race in this particular case of Tyree Nichols. And they were black officers. And and, and now now somebody like Brian Cranston will say, well, those black officers are racist against Tyree Nichols. And then I need to understand that more. Then what are are we arguing about? And if you take out that variable, then... Somebody like me who finds my, I think of myself as a pretty empathetic person, then I need to understand what that actually means from their perspective. And I don't think anyone on that side of things has articulately explained that to me at least yet. You know, what we've heard a lot is it's not black against white, it's black against blue. And it's the whole law enforcement with a bias against black people. But Heather McDonald's stats, and she's probably as proficient as anyone in this area, she says it just doesn't add up. Yeah. He said white and Hispanic people are more likely to be a victim of violence, uh, 9% to 2% uh, on, a, on a annual basis than anything else. It doesn't mean there's not problems, but it, but if you're trying to address an issue, a 2% issue isn't something you usually take most of, most of your attention. Well, and also let's go back to why was this unit, the Scorpion unit in Memphis created in the first place? I don't remember exactly what SCORPION stands for, it's but an it was an acronym for. Uh, it's basically like to reduce crime 
in the city that was mostly hurting African American African American people. That's what they they were they needed more policing to help prevent crime, violent crime against their young people, their innocent people, and that so that's what the police were trying to do. Right. I think one of the things we'll find is that the true answer to this, Brian, is the opposite of defund the police. It's massively fund police. If you want better training, that's what you're going to have to do. You want to retain officers, you're going to have to pay them more. You want to make sure that it's an attractive uh, career for Mm -hmm. good people who have wanted to join the police force, then they're going to have to be able to make a living. I actually think it's going to be the complete opposite of what some on the left have been advocating for many years. Right. So I'm not talking about nationalized police force. And I know, for example, where you grew up in Wyoming, probably a different approach to where I grew up on Long Island, which is different from where we both work in New York City, Mm -hmm. right? But I think there's some fundamental things that everybody can learn. And then you might turn around listening to me now in a small town and go, really? We're lucky to be able to pay our salaries. I can't put that money into training. I get uniforms and equipment. That's where I think federal funding could come in. And that's where I think a team of federal trainers, hey, I want to earn extra money. I'm a cop. I have a decent salary. Got great benefits. I want to become a national trainer. And Pat Ryder, the Nassau County Police Commissioner, said this, cut 10. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country. The different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation Absolutely. that we all must follow. And it's not. The standard should be a national standard mm-hmm. about how you de-escalate, when you're allowed to use um, you know, deadly physical force, when you're allowed to use your taser. That's so interesting. Not too long ago, Brian, I went to a demonstration here in the city of an organization that was utilizing artificial intelligence and virtual reality in order to make sure that police officers across the country were getting training like what your guests right. had said. Um, and that was a, that was, gosh, I have to say it was before COVID. So I don't know how much even more advanced it is. And people are much more proficient at being able to use screens to right. learn or to engage. So there might be a way to, to help affordably. bring that affordably. But with all the checks we've been writing now, building train yards and tunnels. Hey, let's, let's take, what on. about the schools that never use the COVID money? Could we use that for police training? I would think that would be great. The other thing is I find most police officers love it. When you do, they use a lot of my passion for it. So if you could tell the new technique when you pull someone over, how to coerce uh, different things out of people, get them to, to, to avoid confrontation. See, uh, I think the commissioners were writing me when this was happening and say, I can't tell you how many mistakes they made, along with something like 70 commands in yeah. 13 minutes. Yeah. 70 commands in he 13 minutes. He had no chance. Right. He had absolutely no chance. And he seemed like just a perfect guy. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You let them back on Twitter. If you have a person like that speaking, you can always block them. You don't have oh, to no, listen. I, I also I, don't have to read it. Like, correct. I'm with you. I'm there, with you. There's a thing, though, when a person is like that, that I think there's a great value in pushing back against him. And if he was a person that could learn from that, maybe there'd be a great value of yeah. him reading some of the pushback against him and altering the way he thinks. When you put stuff out there and people really f- severely disagree with what you're saying, you should experience that. So Joe Rogan talking about Kanye West, he should be let back on Twitter. Last time we saw him on Twitter, he was talking about how great Hitler was and how bad the Jews were. But he says, leave him on, let him get to debate him, be outraged by him, but don't ban him. 
Uh, Dana Perino here. Dana is going to set to do the five in a few hours. But, Dana, what do you think about that? You know, um, I, I wish that I was inside some of the meetings with inside Twitter as they debate this stuff or, or Facebook or one of these uh, foreign pol- uh, excuse me, uh, social media companies because I feel like I just am operating in a position of I don't have enough information. I, I don't know exactly how I would come down if I was inside the company and making that decision. For me personally, I'm pretty much a free speech absolutist. And I understand that sometimes you'll hear things from somebody like Hitler's great, right? If if somebody tweets that, that's horrendous, reprehensible, appalling. But I also don't think it's violence. I, I I just personally don't think that. So I don't know. It would be interesting to be in the room to hear about all the different competing factors that a company like Twitter is dealing with. And when Elon Musk is there chairing the meeting, how he finally comes down, because he's pretty much a free speech absolutist too. True. So here's, here's what people would say. Uh, yeah, he's Kanye West is a billionaire or was, and he's got all these followers. And if he's coming out saying horrible things about certain nationalities mm-hmm. or religions, mm-hmm. he's going to ignite people, his followers to do the same thing. And as you extrapolate that out to worry, I'll give you an example. To me, the Wagner group seems to be evil personified. Mm-hmm. This private, there was a defector on, I'm reading on CNN. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He came out and talked about the horrible things they're doing to each other and to the Ukrainians. Now, if I saw someone, the Wagner group is great, they're heroic, they're Spartans, and they're fantastic. Should I take that down? Because someone might want to join the Wagner group. If I'm running Twitter, I think they're dangerous. If you're pro-Russian, you're like, those are the guys who are simply sustaining getting back to Ukraine they think they deserve. I obviously don't agree with that. But do I take anything referencing positive on the Wagner group down? I don't think so. Right. I don't think so. It's, it's sort of like, did you re- read that report last week? I'm sure you did because you read everything. But where uh, there was a, re- a study that said that the Russian bots had no impact on how people decided to vote. You have that type. So I talked to Matt Taibbi. Oh, okay. And he gave the, the first interview since then. Some of the biggest disappointments. You see who's on that list? John Podesta, not a big surprise. Mike Morrell, huge disappointment. Yeah. Uh, we have Bill Crystal, mm-hmm. And they exist to do one thing. To, for, to come out and take any positive Trump or conservative trend and marginalize it by saying it's Russian bots. And so, okay, so it's just Twitter. No, it isn't. Because guess who's using Twitter as a source, a news source? MSNBC, Mother Jones, CNN. So it ends up growing. So anytime there was something going on, there's Russian influence on social media again, supporting President Trump, who's compromised by Vladimir Putin, whose Mueller report was uh, backing up. The fact that there were hooks in there, remember, he stood next to him and said, I trust Putin more than I do the intel. So it all building up this narrative. It's called Hamilton 68. And how could he how could they go ahead and do this, form this program to do something that is flat out forcing a lie and to extrapolate it further? Politicians were told by Twitter executives, this is not Russian bots. Right. Blumenthal, Schiff and others and Warner. And they've gone ahead and called press conference saying Russian influence still. How Mike Morell in particular, how disappointing. These are really I, smart people. <laughs> They, and and learned people, right? They are these are people who are the intelligence intelligence of our using it for bad purposes. Yeah, that's really it's really bad. And, and in fact, here here's what Matt Taibbi said. Okay, let's listen. The key here is that they built this tool called the Hamilton sixty eight dashboard that purported to track 
Russian bots. Again, it was based on 644 accounts, which we now know are mostly organic accounts, mostly real people, mostly in the West. Uh, but they would say these accounts are now following, let's just say, the uh, hashtag Fire McMaster or hashtag Release the Memo or hashtag I Stand with Laura or hashtag Parkland Shooting. And then you would see a flood of news stories come out in the next day, maybe in The New York Times, maybe The Washington Post, maybe CNN, maybe MSNBC, that would say Russian bots are supporting this hashtag. In reality, there were no Russians, or there were very few Russians, let's put it that way. Most of these were actual real Americans who were just doing ordinary conversations on Twitter. And let alone what the FBI was doing. Yeah. Um, so that's separate. I mean, if you were a target of a lot of these, what I, th- what I thought were bots, right? it, was, it was very uncomfortable. It made me want to not be on Twitter at all. And I, in fact, I pulled back a lot during the election. So I didn't want to be a part of it. I was like, I just need to be able in order to do my job, I need to be able to think clearly and without, you know, it's not that I don't want to hear criticism. That's not it. Cause I do, as Bill Maher said, I think, you know, that's important, but I also thought it was something when it became like abusive with like all the misspellings and the grammatical errors. And, and it did look like it was coming from someplace crazy. And they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Is the end so in their mind would they sit there and say, Well, the end justify the means. Donald Trump is so unworthy to be president that I had to get him out some way, somehow. I get you know, well that's probably what we they might would learn say. more when they start doing some of these hearings, if that is what they really thought, because they'll be under oath and they'll have to say. But my fear is it's complicated. It is complicated. So, you know, you all I can say is this can you imagine what you said? was amplified on every major media outlet and what you said they believed you and you knew you were lying. I no, I can't. I cannot imagine. There's there's and, just no scenario in my in my life where I could imagine that. And then the next, figure this out. Then you have 51 Intel experts sign off that the laptop is not real and then no earlier as late October, August that they were going over with New York Times Washington Post and say in the theory that the Russians do this type of drop, let's say this laptop saying it belongs to Joe Biden. This is how you can handle it, how we can work together. And they're actually doing war games on a laptop since they were following Rudy Giuliani. They knew it was about to be dropped off and some outlet later would be in the New York Post. All these factors. So if Trump sits there and was smart enough to point out things like this, had they unwound it, as opposed to, they stole my votes and they took it from drop boxes and they stuffed ballots and a million mules or whatever it was. If he just said, I'm just going to tell you some of the forces against you're the candidate that still got 81 million votes or 71 million votes. I mean, that would probably would have been a much better argument when you think. I do think it would have been a better argument, but everyone gets to make a choice or the arguments that they choose to put forward. And that's the case for, you know, for Mike Morrell. Or uh, anybody else at the FBI and for, for the former president, too. I want to talk about the Ukraine before you go, because I know you got to run. So right now we're looking at the Ukraine. We're seeing the Russians making some marginal gains in some smaller towns. But all indications are they're pushing for a major offensive. Uh, do you feel as though from what you've been able to read and the people you've been able to talk to, we've responded effectively to let Ukraine fight effectively to stop this? I think two things have been has failed to happen. One, the president of the United States has not consistently explained to the American people why it is in our national interest to be involved. And if you are going to commit American resources and taxpayer dollars 
uh, then you have to explain to people why it makes sense. And I, there is a good re- there are good reasons, but he just does not talk about them. Instead, what they do is they take any request from Zelensky and say, mm, "Nope, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. Nope, nope, nope. That would be provocative." Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, we'll do it eventually. And then, so this incremental um, uh, incrementalism is not inspiring confidence on either side, either here and at home or for Zelensky, because we know that the Ukrainians want to fight. They're asking for equipment to be able to fight. They're getting what they need, but they seem to be getting it late. And then we might be in a situation if there are an additional 200,000 troops coming from Russia, this could look very different. So this, um, I want you to hear what Bob Gates, I know you you Mm -hmm. have great respect for him, what he said on Sunday, I meet the press, Condoleezza Rice the week before, they feel they have to do the selling for President Biden. Cut 31. Only thing I would have said is that a lot of this could have been done sooner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're talking about it potentially being six months, a year or more before the Abrams tanks get there. I think the key thing about the Abrams tank decision was that it unlocked the Germans. That was the being real able reason. To provide. I, I mean, totally. we're, we're, the Abrams tanks are probably not going to make that much of a difference when we're talking 37 versus how many Leopard tanks that we want to get over there yeah. now. And, right. and we have our allies, Poland, yeah. uh, Germany and others have hundreds of, uh, of these Leopard tanks, which are a very good tank. And Hungary and Austria, by the way, just said, I'm out. Don't expect anything from us. So... He's out there in his own measured tone saying, well, you know, you're making it hard. I'm going to build on something else you said, incrementalism. That means you got to keep going back to Congress yeah. and asking for more and more money. And they feel pressure, let alone people like J.D. Vance, who just don't want to be in there at all. But they feel pressure from their own constituents now on the right saying, how can you continue to sign off on this? Right. So then you have somebody like a Senator Tom Cotton or a Congressman Michael Waltz or the his name is escaping me, the head of the House Republican Intel Committee. Um, who I have all said, let me explain to you why it's in America's interest. But again, that Mike really McCall. needs to come from yes, Mike McCall. It really needs to come from the commander in chief. When after nine eleven, when there was a decision that America had to be clear that it was in an ideological war that was going to take a generation to fight against terrorists, like we had, to, we talked about that every single day until everybody understood that this is our posture. And we were a team in America on that. And we've done a really incredible job of pushing back against radical Islamic terrorism. Um, They are not explaining why it's important to have the Ukrainians fight this. Right. And and push back against people. I'll give an example. I actually feel more less and less people around me uh, understand the why we fight this war yeah because and it's easier for opposition to grow when you don't explain it and then you try to go back to world war ii and go that that was then no no it's exactly the same people in fact they're fighting the same way history repeats itself and i was mentioning to you i listened to hugh hewitt on with mark Thiessen uh, on the on the what the hell is going on podcast which i really like and he had just read read i don't know five six books uh, um about the historical period leading up to the first world war and he said, you know, there are a lot of parallels that we need to be just thinking about. And again, we might come to a different conclusion, but at least you have to present to the American people the reasons why you think it is worth spending their hard-earned dollars in order to help the Ukrainians. Absolutely. So, Dana, you have to run. Thanks so I'm much for the quality time. going to a little time. lunch about our, our – and we're going to talk about AI. Are you really? Yeah. So it's an educational, yes. learned lunch. Yes, of course. And you can't who, waste any time. You've got to keep you, learning, man. Can you use names? Uh, his name is Sergio Rodriguez. And he's just going to tell you about it? I don't know. He's working in that space. And we'll be talking about, you know, chat GPT, what, what AI has in store for us in terms of 
jobs in America. A lot of people are concerned about what it will mean, but also what's the promise of AI. I'm right. I, I'm a I'm an optimist when it comes to technology, but I do have a little bit of underlying fear about what right. it means. I just am not convinced that anyone in Congress is like, let me just tell you oh, how we're going to regulate. They have are no idea. Kidding? It's already over. Yeah. Right. It's over. It's too late. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Dan, it's never too late for you to come in. Thanks Thank so you. much for your quality time. We're going to watch you on the five tonight. Thank you. And I'm just going to wait for your turn to talk. I will not put the sound up until you speak. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's all. Uh, <laughs> back in a moment to wrap up this hour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, just a quick reminder. A lot of people say, Brian, uh, you're not on book tour anymore. Where do you get the books? I got it on my website, briankilmeade.com. If you want it personalized uh, for uh, President's Day or anything like that, uh, just uh, go ahead and give me a call. I can do that for birthdays if it it comes to my own own, uh, website. So I can still handle it. Uh, BrianKillMe.com. But right now, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm thinking, it's time to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. First off, Laverne and Shirley, they are both now dead. You have a history with each other that you don't have. I mean, it's very unique. And uh, she's like a witness to my life. Sometimes I don't want her to be. Well, I didn't want to be a witness, and I objected to (laughs) some of her life. Cindy Williams and Penny Marshall. Remember Gary Marshall, her brother, uh, came up with Happy Days, came up with American Graffiti, then came up with a spinoff, Laverne and Shirley, Joni Loves Chachi. Um, Was there another spinoff? I feel like there was. Uh, but uh, that was a huge hit. Number one, it was the number for eight seasons from 76 to 83. Uh, it was one of the most watched shows on TV. So Laverne and Shirley. And if you watch it back again, it's almost comical in its how basic it is. But uh, she has passed away at the age of 75, short illness. Uh, sad, Gary Marshall died too, and so did Penny Marshall. Right? Yes, apparently Penny Marshall also died at 75. Next, a 35, I might go see this today. A 35-foot humpback whale washes ashore in Nassau County's Lido Beach. I've never seen anything that big. 35-foot washed up on the beach. I saw one of the fins were broken off. It happened about 6.30 on Monday morning. They noticed it. By the time the crews arrived, the whale was dead. That, according to the town supervisor, the whales are, uh, the, while beach whales are common enough, the Jersey Shore has seen seven in about a month. The town of Hempstead plans to fence off the whale. Because what do you do? Do you have to just get a chainsaw? Oh, Eric, Jesus, you know? what a visual, Brian. Kind of, I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, and then what do you do? How do you chop a whale into smaller pieces? Well, they said they're going to um, fence off the area so they can for- perform a necropsy, I guess some, some sort of uh, autopsy. And after that is done, they're going to um, determine, they're going to decide what they're going to do with the carcass of it. But I'm good. are you going to flash like one of your PBA cards or something to get in? Because if it's fenced off, they don't want spectators. Mm. But how close can you get? I mean, how can you fence off something that big? I'm going to flash everything I have. They do fence off stadiums. No, but one thing Eric just said, what? Eric said it's going to smell terrible, right? Yeah, you won't have to get that close if you just want to smell it. Next. But Whitney, here's my quick question. If you do go today, do you Should promise take to picture? take a picture and share Absolutely. it on social media? Okay. Absolutely. Next. History-making record. Uh, Taylor Swift's Midnight's. 
joins the Beatles. Abbey Road is the only album to sell more than a million vinyls in the U.S.'s century. So it's selling actual records? Yeah, actual cool records. I did not know that. You could buy turntables. You see them everywhere. We have one. You do? We do. I remember I uh, just talked about, uh, Katie came up to me. Uh, Your daughter. Yeah, my daughter. And said, oh, I go, what you, why do you have a film camera? Pull the camera. She goes, oh, it's exciting. You go out and you drop it off and you get them developed. And you, and you forget about the pic. I go, really? I'm like, that's the way you did it for the longest time. She also saw that he has his best line uh, to me is we've got to rent a car. And there were cranks on the doors. And she goes, who invented this? So that's the way her mind thinks. It's very unique. You should get her a rotary phone for her birthday. Right. <laughs> what will they think of next? Uh, next, CNN's Tonight will include overtime with um, with Bill Maher. I guess it's his podcast. It's the extra time he usually does on his HBO show. I believe so it's- CNN bought the extra, the le- the leftovers from the HBO show for Friday night. They bought the leftovers that they post on YouTube for Friday night. So what? A, Bill Maher's probably making a kill. He's like, really? You want this? 1130. I'm doing it anyway, so might as well get paid double for it. Next. Oh, so sad to hear this music. It says uh, you should, even if you have a 13-year-old, they should not be on social media because it leads to depression. Do you agree with that? Thank you, Cap. Uh, Thank you, Surgeon General. That's going to be tough to do. That is really tough. No social media? Maybe if you're homeschooled and they're not allowed to go anywhere, but you know the minute they get to school, they're going to be on Instagram, Snapchat. But you see the damage it does. Yep. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.